Hello everyone and welcome to the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. Church Partnership Evangelism is working with pastors and leaders and missionaries in countries around the world to direct them in raising up national evangelists and disciple makers. God is blessing and many are coming to Christ. Thank you for your prayers. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. We take up a second look into the last 10 verses of Romans 7 today. It's a challenging passage as it lays out before us the total collapse of our own fleshly powers before the law of God. We are not able in our own power to follow the law of God into salvation. It only condemns us. But after salvation has come, the Christian can default to a belief that they can go forward in their new life in those same fleshly powers. And Paul is telling us from experience that this strategy will fail us. Just a really brief review over what we talked about last week. Last week we basically asked a question about this I that Paul is referring to in this passage. And the question we ask is, is Paul speaking about his life prior to coming to saving life in Jesus Christ? Is Paul basically speaking about his life before he was a born-again believer? Because it sounds in many ways like it. You remember in Romans chapter 6, Paul says that we've died to sin. But here in this passage, it seems like sin is still alive in Paul. He's struggling with it. So maybe Paul is referring to his life before he is born again. That's the one idea. The other idea is, or is Paul speaking about his life in the present moment, in the present hour? Is he giving an expression of something that is contemporary with Paul at the time in which he's writing it? And what we ultimately concluded was that only a born-again man could say some of the things that are in this text. Only a born-again man could say that he delighted in his inward man after the law of God. Only a born-again man could say that he had a mind or the mind to follow and obey the will of God and the law of God because when Paul speaks of the mind, he's not speaking of the working of your brain cells. He's speaking of the spirit, that this new spirit that comes upon a man. We also said that only a born-again individual could look into their behavior and their conduct and see the exceeding sinfulness of it. The exceeding sinfulness of the impulses and weakness of their own moral powers. And finally, only a born-again man would long for a deliverance that was completely apart from himself. The born-again individual doesn't just discover that he needs Jesus to save him from the penalty of his sins. And Jesus, I just want you to save me from the penalties of my sins so I can go to heaven. But the born-again man, once he experiences the saving power and life of Christ, wants to know Christ working through him throughout the rest of his life. He wants to see God being magnified as the one who saves him from beginning to end. Now, we get confused in this issue. We can confuse on that very matter, and we're going to talk about that more today. But deep inside, the born-again person wants to say, like the song that's sung, Jesus led me all the way. It was all by him. It was all of his working. It was all of his power from beginning to end. We don't want to take any credit for ourselves. The question might be asked, how do you know that you're going to go to heaven? And the believer doesn't say, well, you know, there was a time in my life when I realized that uh, Jesus, and I put my faith and belief and trust in him, and because of my faith, no. He says, God awoke my heart to see the exceeding sinfulness of my life and my powerlessness to save myself. And then God moved me to see and understand that he had done it all for me in Jesus Christ, and he turned me into repentance. 
brought me to believe and trust in that salvation alone and my hope and my rest is in him alone and having begun there then we don't go out and say but now I'll do it all myself well actually that's what we do but that's not deep inside what we want to do and so when Paul is writing this in a sense he's writing this so that we can clear up a bit of confusion we have to conclude here that Paul is speaking here to the Christian and he's speaking as a Christian and he's relating to them in the present realities of the Christian life. He's actually making an honest assessment of himself when he stands in his own strength before the law. And that's the big issue that's being addressed throughout this chapter is the law. And even as a regenerate man, Paul is describing the attitude of the, of the regenerate man as he regards himself before the law or as he learns to regard himself before that law. At least he's identifying himself in a certain way. Paul is looking at himself as he stands as flesh and bone before the law of God. Just what he is in his own physical and psychological energies before the law of God. And he sees and he allows that there's nothing in himself to carry out that law and fulfill it. So what Paul is trying to do is he's actually trying to correct some confusion that comes along in the believer. Here Paul says we when he begins this conversation. He says, we understand these things, and then he starts speaking of himself. And so at the table at this moment in his conversation, he's addressing the believer. The individual has come to faith in Jesus Christ. And many of these individuals are young believers. They're new believers, and he's speaking to them as well. And he's teaching them a lesson through his own experience in his own life. And he's trying to clear up some confusion that may still come to them because of patterns that they haven't been able to break free of. And here's the first point of confusion. It's this. It's the confusion to believe that you can go forward in your salvation, resting in your own fleshly powers. It's the confusion that believes that in your own physical and psychological strength, after having come to Jesus Christ and found his salvation from the penalty of your sins, that you can now march forward and somehow rescue yourself from the power of sin. This is what is being addressed. And this is what is being confronted here and corrected. And what we need to see here is, Paul is looking at himself in the present moment as to what he is in his flesh, in his body, in his members, his fleshly makeup. And we've pointed out before when we were looking at Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7 that you will see that when Paul regards himself in this way, he uses three words. These three words speak of literally his corporal nature. He uses the word sarx, which is flesh. He uses the word soma, which speaks of his body. And then he also speaks of his members and that part of him, which are just basically extensions of the physical activities of his body. And so Paul is looking at himself in this way, his fleshly makeup, his unique genetic contribution that shapes him for who he is. And he says, I am carnal. That is, I am of the flesh. Now he's describing that part of himself, sold under sin. We get confused in this very matter, but Paul isn't. He has come to see that in his own fleshly power, that those fleshly elements in himself are still subject to becoming enslaved to sin. So let me explain this a little bit more to you. I want you to see this, and I want you to see that Paul is addressing this as a mature Christian. It doesn't sound like it when reading this, but Paul's addressing this as a mature Christian. And the more mature Christian, when they look back on the spiritual journey of their life, see that there are two points of discovery that they made of their complete inability, two points of crisis that they entered into through those discoveries that brought them into the saving work of Jesus Christ. Not one, but two. And the mature Christian sees this. 
The first one comes, the first discovery, the first crisis of discovery comes when they recognize their complete inability to save themselves by their own activity. They see that they have no righteousness in themselves. There's no way that they can do a good deed or they conduct any kind of work or righteousness that somehow will purchase for them salvation that will clear up the sin that is accumulated in their life and to give them a righteous standing before God. They see instead that in their own flesh and in their own powers, they stand condemned before God. And in that sense of condemnation, they cry out for God that God would deliver them and God would save them and God would provide a righteousness for them that is not of themselves. And in that moment, they're born again. They're saved. They're given new life. And that's that first crisis that they pass through. That's that first moment of discovery. That's that first time in which they were awakened to their sinfulness and they were granted repentance and they turned in faith to Jesus Christ and they were transformed or changed. They converted to follow him and they were given new life. They were regenerated. They were given new life and God then began to pour into them by his Holy Spirit, the witness of his presence and his life and his power. And they were transformed. And that was a wonderful crisis moment of salvation. But then they went on and a second crisis took place. Sometime after this, the second crisis came not only in this moment of the initiating of their salvation, but then in the moment in which that salvation began to carry itself out in sanctification. When they discovered that they had no power in their own flesh to deliver themselves from the daily onslaught of temptation that the world and Satan would bring against them. When they found and when we find that we cannot live holy lives that we want to live, in order to fulfill the law of God. And this is a second crisis. I couldn't save myself from the penalty of my sin, and this is it. I can't save myself now from the power of sin. And in the crisis, they, they turn back to put their trust and their confidence completely in Christ. So let's look at this second crisis of faith a little more fully, and that's the emphasis I want to have at this point here, as Paul is clearing up this confusion. Once saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone and from the alienation and condemnation that our sin brings against us, that floods up within the individual who comes to that saving faith, a, a, an eagerness now to engage the moral challenges of life with new vigor and with a new mentality and a new energy. And I'm going to go out now and I'm going to live for the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm going to serve him. And, and we want to live for Jesus to such an extent that we're even willing to die for him. We're like Peter that way. You'll remember in Matthew chapter 26 when they're celebrating the last meal, that the Lord Jesus tells all of his disciples that very night that all of them are going to be caused to stumble because of him and they're going to depart from him. And Peter voices his own protest. He says, Lord, even if everyone else stumbles because of you, I'll never be made to stumble. The Lord Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows, you are going to deny me three times, Peter's answer is, Lord, even if I have to die, I will never deny you. Peter is intent on following the Lord Jesus. He's ready now to live out this dedication to Lord Jesus. And even if I have to die, I will never deny you. And the reality is this, and we learn it, that in order to live in sanctifying grace, Peter has got the order wrong. Death has to come first, and in this case, Peter has to, and we have to, experience a death of our view of our own powers and our own abilities. 
It's not that we just die to ourselves, but we die to our self-confidence in this corporal nature of what we are, what we can perform, and what we can do in our own strength. Peter had to come to a death of this as well. And so the Lord Jesus lets Peter go into a crisis of discovering this truth. And he's going to find out that in his own flesh, he could not produce anything that would allow him to live faithfully for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's actually going to find out in this process of learning this, this devastating reality that he will, in his own power, deny Christ. And it's devastating to Peter. And after Peter learns this lesson, we're told that he went out and he wept bitterly. And what Peter was having in that moment was a, O wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death discovery? And this is exactly what Paul is sharing with us in Romans chapter 7. He's sharing with those that he's writing to his own discovery. The confusion of self-confidence to achieve your own walk of holiness is dealt with in this tremendous crisis. And this is the crisis that Paul is talking about. Last week we said this. We said that Paul is speaking of the born-again believer who discovers the ongoing weakness of their flesh when they attempt through the achievement of following the laws of God to accomplish a holy life. And they find out they can't do it. They fail. That they're not up for it. The newly saved person feels this power of salvation released upon them. They know the weight of guilt and sin rolling off from them. This moment of freedom from their sense of condemnation. This moment of... But all too often the Christian thinks they can sustain the life of power in their own fleshly activities and they can't. And God graciously brings us to a point of crisis where we see that having begun by a spirit, we must continue in his spirit alone. This has been the Bread of Life. You can learn more about our ministry by going to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.